Welcome to this episode of Revolution and Ideology. I'm Nick. Jared. In this episode, we are talking about Michel Foucault's concepts of biopower and state racism. So we have a video on Foucault's concept of governmentality that I actually highly suggest you watch before watching this video because it kind of provides an overview of what we're going to discuss here. I kind of view it as governmentality being kind of a general framework for the origins and transformations of like modern states and biopolitics and biopower being kind of a more specific part of that framework. So watch the video on governmentality if you have time first before uh, sort of consuming this on biopolitics, biopower, and so on. We're using two resources for this video, though really only one, and the main one is a lecture given on March 17th in 1976 that you can find in a collection of Foucault's lectures titled Society Must Be Defended. This is where he covers biopower and his unique concept of state racism, which is why we're using it because we want to talk about state racism. He then goes on and covers this in depth in subsequent lectures. Um, I think this is the first lecture where he actually uses that term and concept. Um, but we're using this one because that's where he talks about state re racism. Um, he also talks about this extensively in The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, Part 5, which is titled The Right of Death and Power Over Life. He covers biopower in depth there as well in his book, and he really talks about sexuality and sex and how it is a political topic also uh, sort of in that part of that book. So that's worth reading as well. We'll post links in the show notes to uh, both of those resources. So what is Foucault trying to achieve here in this lecture and with these concepts? This is kind of an overview of his goal. He says, quote, I would now like to show you how, while the theme of race does not disappear, it becomes part of something very different, namely state racism. So his whole goal for this lecture and how he finishes it out, which we'll get to obviously, is talking about racism and specifically state racism, how it comes into being and functions and what its role is. Foucault's general thesis is that during the between the 17th and the 19th centuries, the way that states held power over the individual lives and the collective lives of their populations went through a transformation which resulted in what we now know as the modern state, uh, modern politics. Here's a paragraph by Foucault that kind of sums up his whole sort of thesis here. He says, quote, And I think that one of the greatest transformations political right underwent in the 19th century was precisely that. I wouldn't say exactly the sovereignty's old right to take life or let live was replaced, but it came to be complemented by a new right which is not, does not erase the old right, but which does penetrate it, permeate it. This is the right, or rather precisely the opposite right. It is the power to make live and let die. The right of sovereignty was the right to take life or let live, and this new right is established the right to make live and let die. It's important to know if you're doing this reading that Foucault refers to a sovereignty as sort of a state before the birth of the modern state. So he says the sovereignty um, had the power to take life or let live, but he says the modern state, biopolitics, is the right to make live and let die. Uh, so that will become important in a second when we talk about uh, biopolitics. Anything so far? 
No, I want you to keep going. Obviously, uh, I'm going to, as the history guy, I'll throw in some historical examples, but mm-hmm. I think you want to flesh this out a little bit further before we start digging into some things like yeah. what we see in in colonial America, right, with Virginia legislation sure. and things yep. like that at the House of Burgess level. Mm-hmm. Um, also, maybe a little bit of how like scientific racism is then used by the state in this era. I think, yeah. I'm assuming Foucault is going to talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so I'll let you keep going before I chime in with that. Okay. So he says that the government has power over life in two different yet related ways. The first takes place at the anatomical level, so the individual body. The second takes place at the biological level, so the level of the species overall. He calls the first anatomopolitics, so anatomic, and the second biopolitics or biopower. So this is where that term comes from. Anatomical politics functions through the discipline of bodies. So this term discipline is important here. And if you know anything about Foucault, you know very clearly right. um, he's all about that. Um, so anatomical politics functions through the discipline of bodies at the individual level. Biopolitics functions at an entirely different level. It is the governing of life at the level of population. So Foucault says, unlike discipline, which ad- is addressed to bodies, the new non-disciplinary power is applied not to man as body, but to the living man, to man as having being, ultimately, if you like, to man as species. So anatomopolitics is disciplinary, while biopolitics is regulatory at the level of a population. Clearly, we'll have examples and go into this uh, more in depth. So let's specifically go into anatomopolitics first. So this is the discipline of the human body at the anatomical level. He says, uh, quote, in the 17th and 18th centuries, we saw the emergence of techniques of power that were essentially centered on the body, on the individual body. They included all devices that were used to ensure the spatial distribution of individual bodies, their separation, their alignment, their sterilization, and their surveillance, and the organization around those individuals of a whole field of visibility. There were also techniques that could be used to take control over bodies. Attempts were made to increase their productive force through exercise, drill, and so on. There were also techniques for rationalizing and strictly economizing on a power that had to be used in the least costly way possible. Thanks to a whole system of surveillance, hierarchies, inspections, bookkeeping, and reports, all the technology that can be described as the disciplinary technology of labor. It was established at the end of the 17th century and in the course of the 18th. Then he continues, I would say that discipline tries to rule a municipality of men to the extent that their municipality can and must be dissolved into individual bodies that can be kept under surveillance, trained, used, and if need be, punished. So discipline and punishment takes place at the anatomic level, this anatomopolitics according to Foucault. Um, If you've never read it, uh, his I think probably his most famous book is Discipline and Punish, where it's basically exactly all of this, how discipline and punishment takes place and transforms throughout time. So if you know that work or about Foucault's theories in general, you know discipline and punishment uh, is, is a huge topic for him. So that's the first way that governments manage the individual people in their population through anatomopolitics at the individual, uh, the level of individual bodies. Like he says, hierarchies, inspections, bookkeeping, exercise, drills, so on. He says this takes place in the 17th and in the early part of the 18th century. So we have a good example, if you wanted Mm -hmm. to throw one in. In 1640, this is in Virginia, the legal precedent for slavery is set, which of course is is a key, like, 
path towards like racial thinking. So real quickly, in 1640, four men, three European and one African named John Punch, ran away and attempted to escape their servitude. Their master, Hugh Gwynn, a wealthy planter and member of the House of Burgesses, recaptured them and returned them to Virginia. Virginia's Council of Governors, the highest of the court at the time, sentenced the three escapees as follows. And this is, and I quote from the source, Whereas Hugh Gwynn hath by order from the board brought back from Maryland three servants formerly run away from the said Gwynn. The court doth therefore order that the said three servants shall receive the punishment of whipping and have 30 stripes apiece. So here's that like anatomy-based punishment. Mm -hmm. One called Victor, a Dutchman, the other, a Scotchman called James Gregory, shall first serve out their times with their master according to their indentures, and one whole year apiece after the time of their service is expired by their said indentures in recompense of his loss sustained by their absence. So this is about the labor part. And after that service to their said master is expired to serve the colony for three whole years apiece, and that the third being a Negro named John Punch shall serve his master or his assigns for the time of his natural life here or elsewhere. So for the labor piece, for the anatomy, you have the whipping, right? The 30 stripes apiece. For the labor part, then you, of course, also have a total of four years added to the labor of the indentures of the uh, of the two white runaways. But for John Punch, the one black man that ran away that was with the other two, he gets a life sentence of labor. And we can see that distinguishment right there. Um, distinguishment? Is that even a word? Uh, I just made it up. Yeah, sounds good to me. Anyway, it's a good example that kind of like really frames what Foucault's talking about, how it is at the anatomical level and how that is associated with, in this case, like going to be labor. And since it's a precedent set by the House of Burgesses, which at the time was the state, mm -hmm. we see how it's kind of working its way into the system. And if you're curious, this is the legal precedent for lifetime servitude, slavery uh, in the early American colonies. Right. This case that Jared just read. Okay, so that's... Anatomo politics. That one I think is pretty easy to understand. That's what we're kind of used to thinking of discipline and punishment in the uh, sense of this, right? Like you get punished and you get whipped or you get you go to jail or whatever, right? At the individual body level. Then Foucault, obviously, clearly the focus of this section is biopolitics. So at the level of the population. So this is a quote. For the first time in history, no doubt, biological existence was reflected in political existence. The fact of living was no longer an inaccessible substrate that only emerged from time to time, amid the randomness of death and its fatality. Part of it passed into knowledge's field of control and power's sphere of intervention. So we see at, as a result of this transition in the way that power is dealt with and exists, that for the first time ever, biological existence was reflected in political existence. So we saw a merging of biology and sort of man at the level of species reflected in legislation and the way that states functioned. This is biopolitics and biopower for Foucault. He says there are also three domains of biopolitics, which we'll talk about specifically. He says, quote, biopolitics will derive its knowledge from and define its powers field of intervention in terms of the birth rate, the mortality rate, various biological disabilities, and the effects of the government. So let's talk about those three uh, specifically. And Foucault explains in more depth. So this is the birth rate and the mortality rate. He says, quote, a set of processes such as the ratio of births to deaths, the rate of reproduction, the fertility of a population, and so on. It is these processes, the birth rate, the mortality rate, longevity, and so on, 
together with a whole series of related economic and political problems, which, in the second half of the 18th century, become biopolitics' first objects of knowledge and the target it seeks to control. So these things, the birth rate, the mortality rate, the lifespan, and so on, reflect a transition in the gaze of the government, which is key to Foucault's theory here of biopolitics. In addition to using discipline to control the behaviors of individuals, the government is beginning to track, observe, and intervene at the level of the population overall. One key here for Foucault in this section of his lecture, he talks about the field of medicine and the medicalization of society and of the population overall. Another one of Foucault's work is titled The Birth of the Clinic, also very famous. Um, and this is what he tracks specifically in The Birth of the Clinic is the origins of the field of medicine and the impacts this has on society and the state and government and power and how that is an institution of power. And so for biopolitics... This medicalization of society is one of the institutions that uh, the state uses to manage the people at the level of the population. First, I mean, obviously, it makes me think of like forced sterilization policies yep. that we talked about in a very mm -hmm. recent episode. Please go back and check that one out about mm -hmm. forced sterilization that took place in U.S. history and is allegedly, of course, taking place right now for those of you uh, keeping track at home. But the other thing it got me to think about is, again, if we go back into history, we can actually see a forming state where this this idea of birth rate and mortality, all of this kind of uh, coalesces around the idea of race. So we're back in Virginia in 1691, and uh, what is this? Act 12 of Virginia law states, and for prevention of that abominable mixture and spurious issue, which hereafter may increase in this dominion as well by Negroes, mulattoes, and Indians intermarrying with English or other white women, as by their unlawful accompanying with one another, be it enacted by the authority aforesaid, and it is hereby enacted that for the time to come, Whatsoever English or other white man or woman being free shall intermarry with a Negro, mulatto, or Indian man or woman, bond or free, shall within three months after such marriage be banished and removed from this dominion forever, and that the justices of each respective county within this dominion make it their particular care that this act be put in effective execution. That's perfect. And that's so good that we'll come back to that one because he specifically later on talks about banishment as a form of right. this power. So we'll come back I to mean, that one. I mean, these are just like really like you cannot find more clear examples, exactly. especially from the dates that Foucault is talking about here. Mm -hmm. 1691, this is what he's talking about, 17th yep. century. So He continues, these are the phenomena that begin to take into account at the end of the 18th century. And they result in the development of medicine, whose main function will now be public hygiene with institutions to coordinate medical care, centralized power, and normalized knowledge. So governments begin to treat illnesses as something that affected a population rather than just as individuals. And the medical field has everything to do with that as well. So that's the first of the three uh, domains of biopolitics, birth rate, birth rate, mortality rate, and so on. The second of the domains is what Foucault calls various biological disabilities. Uh, so the government becomes concerned with the ways in which people, quote, fall out of the field of activity of capacity. So as a result, the government begins to regulate things related to accidents, sicknesses, and various, quote unquote, anomalies, including old age and so on. And as a result, we see the transformation of, Foucault says, charitable institutions, which used to exist only within the church, now become, uh, become to operate outside of 
being underneath the umbrella of the church, in addition to the first insurance programs, the promotion of individual savings, the creation of collective welfare programs, safety regulations, and so on. So this is just another example of the state beginning to function at the level of the population and viewing these things as issues of the population rather than just individual problems that people are having. So that's various biological disabilities. Foucault well, and that, that, that the problem here is I don't even have a specific example in front of me for that one. But but what it gets me thinking about is through like when we start getting through the 18th and 19th century, the growing eugenics movement and, yep. and, and how Foucault that calls becomes, that out specifically. Oh, he yeah. does? Yep. Am I spoiling that? No, I wasn't okay. going to talk about it, but All he right. does talk about that. Okay. He talks about it more in the racism section, but yeah, yep. 100%. Yep. And the third domain of biopolitics is the effects of the environment. So, quote, biopolitics last domain is control over relations between the human race and their environment, the milieu in which they live. This includes the direct effects of the geographical climate or hydrographic environment, and also the problem of the environment to the extent that it is not a natural environment, that it has been created by the population and therefore has effects on the population. This is essentially the urban problem. So the government in the third domain of biopolitics, according to Foucault, now begins to take on as one of its issues how in, how the population relates to its natural environment and its man-made environment and begins to regulate behavior around those things, which is interesting. We actually talked about this in depth in the governmentality uh, episode about the forests and like so on. Or I mean, even during the industrial era, like ending like windows so you don't get distracted by what's outside and and, yep. and prisons and honestly schools that are created now with like less and mm-hmm. less windows to kind of like control and regulate these individuals, right, into, well, in this case, what we would argue is submission. I get that it's public school, but it is submission into like a state mm-hmm. uh, drawn up discourse. So, I mean, one of Foucault's famous terms yeah. is docile bodies, right. right, from discipline and punish and mm-hmm. how the state uses discipline and punishment to do exactly that, right? Then Foucault says there's three important aspects of biopolitics. The first is the population. Foucault says biopolitics deals with the population, with the population as political problem, as a problem that is at once scientific and political, as a biological problem and as powers problem. Go back to our episode on uh, governmentality about the role of science in this. We'll talk about it more also uh, coming up. The second important aspect of biopolitics is the nature of the phenomena that it takes into consideration. He just gave us some examples. He says the other important thing is the nature of the phenomena that are taken into consideration. You can see they are collective phenomena, which have their economic and political effects, and that they become pertinent only at the mass level. They are phenomena that are aleatory, like random, and unpredictable when taken in themselves or individually, but which at the collective level display constants that are easy or at least possible to establish. And they are finally phenomena that occur over a period of time, which have to be studied over a certain period of time. They are serial phenomena. The phenomena addressed by biopolitics are essentially aleatory events that occur within a population that exists over a period of time. So think about this. And nanopolitics can deal with individual occurrences with individual people and policing, disciplining, and punishing people at an individual level. But biopolitics deals with things that, taken at an individual level, are completely seemingly random, and that taken in a very specific period of time also don't have some characteristics that could be regulated. But when we look at these statistically at a general population level, over time, we can see trends and statistics and significances that wouldn't otherwise be observable and that we can regulate those things at the population level. 
So, I mean, he's talking about this long before we had um, all of the studies on mass incarceration and its Mm -hmm. disproportionate um, targeting of people of color. Like, he's writing this before that. Yep. So, I mean, I'm impressed, I guess. I'll just say I'm impressed. Yeah. And the third uh, sort of aspect of biopolitics is the uh, technologies of biopolitical power. He said the third important point is technology of power. This biopolitics will introduce mechanisms with a certain number of functions that are very different from the functions of disciplinary mechanisms. The mechanisms introduced by biopolitics include forecasts, statistical statistical estimates, and overall measures. And their purpose is not to modify any given phenomena as such or to modify a given individual insofar as he is an individual, but essentially to intervene at the level at which these general phenomena are determined to intervene at the level of their generality. The mortality rate has to be modified or lowered. The life expectancy has to be increased. The birth rate has to be stimulated. And the most important of all, regulatory mechanisms must be established to establish an equilibrium, maintain an average, establish a sort of homeostasis, and compensate for variations within this general population and its aleatory field. So these new technologies are developed, right? This science, the forecasting, the statistical estimates, the overall measures, right? The averaging, and so on. Anything there? No, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's about regulation and it is about, I mean, it comes back to control, mm-hmm. but I, I want to hold off on this point here. Okay. Yeah, let's. In short, Foucault says, quote, this technology of power over the population as such over men insofar as they are living beings, it continues scientific and it is the power to make live. I want to stress here that this is hard. I think this concept is hard for people to grasp because we live in a biopolitical society. So like when Foucault says biopolitics and biopower is something that it was new that originated at a certain time, we can't even imagine a time when this wasn't a thing because this is how our government functions, right? It's interesting. Okay, moving on now from biopolitics to racism. This is Foucault's... Well, uh, yeah, I mean, keep going. I, okay. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about that idea, idea of biopolitics, like, and kind of put well, it... we're not done with it. Like, it'll come up put again Put it in, in more racism. layman's terms regarding a, specifically, like, health and the medical field and stimulation of birth rates and handling mortality and forecasting various trends. I kind of want to talk... I, I mean, if you're going to talk about this, I want to talk a little bit more about, like, why that's so unique to the modern era. Like, what is the goal? Like, so Foucault, as a post-structuralist, his job is to deconstruct everything, but there's mm-hmm. clearly a deconstruction... There is some sort of uh, uh, dialectic he's trying to follow here in this deconstruction. What is his assessment regarding like why the state or governments as part of the state feel this growing need to control this process? I don't know if it's so much a growing. I don't I wouldn't frame it as a growing need of the state. I would just. I would view it as a transformation of the power available to the state because really what it is is an origin of new technologies and new ways of viewing the human race and a population and citizenry of a state that gives this state this different way of controlling the population. So it's yeah, not a new need, it's just a new new type of power. Right, this isn't necessarily me- meant to come off as like some sort of critique of like socialized medicine or anything. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not where we're going with this, but this and 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 it doesn't matter if the mes- me- uh, medicine is socialized or if it's all like private or whatever. Like it's still biopolitics, right? right. It is still politicians in a modern sense making choices that affect basically everybody within the state at the level of, of health, 
mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yep. Um, so whether you have socialized medicine or you don't, this biopolitics is still a thing. Mm-hmm. And we still end up falling subservient to those in positions of power, making choices for us about the way we we live, for and lack die. of a better term. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, no, I think that's a really good point is that, yeah, I like the way that you asked that question because it's not a, as if the state had a new need to manage the population. Right. This this technology of power originated as a result yeah. of science and statistics and a different way of viewing the world. And so they made use of it, right? And he talks about extensively the difference between the way that the sovereignty ruled people's lives and their and death and how the modern state rules people's lives and their death. And he says the modern state does it biopolitically. That before, under a sovereignty, the sovereignty could really control it only by going to war. So they would basically force you to at least face the possibility of death or be a punishment. Mm-hmm. That was basically it. You could have like the death penalty, right? Capital yeah. punishment. And that's the only ways that they could really manage people's lives. Um, and the new modern state can be biopolitical. It can use biopolitics to manage people's lives in much, much different, and Foucault argues, novel ways that came about in the 18th century that weren't a thing before that. That coincide with other technological advances. Yeah, science yeah. and so on. Yeah, statistics and yeah. yeah, sociological and psychological and medical methodologies and et cetera. Okay, now let's talk about Foucault's definition of racism, which is really where we want to focus. Um, We're not done with biopower. We'll still keep talking about it as we talk about racism. But Foucault really wants to answer this question. He says, given that this power, he's talking about biopower, this power's objective is essentially to make live, how can it let die? How can the power of death, the function of death, be exercised in a political system centered on biopower? So the question is basically... This form of power, this biopower or this biopolitical modern state, if its entire goal is to manage the life and the right to life of a population, how can it possibly kill? How can it possibly have power over death? How can it possibly manage the death of uh, or cause the death of individuals? And he says, it is, I think, at this point that racism intervenes. The modern state can scarcely function without becoming involved with racism at some point. So for Foucault, racism is the mechanism which develops in the modern state to justify killing. Now, I want to stop there before we go into Foucault's explanation in depth. I think this is hard for people to understand as well because people assume that racism has existed basically since time immemorial, that there were always people fighting and killing other people on the basis of the color of their skin. Foucault argues that that is not true, that racism, at least in the way that we know we have the modern manifestation of racism, came about, it originated with biopower and the modern state, and it's basically required by the modern state to justify killing, and it's manufactured by the modern state. We'll clearly get into examples in a second. Do you have anything to say before we well, go on? yeah, we not Foucault in this case, but we would also argue, and we have in past episodes like the scientific racism episode and the invention of whiteness episode, would also argue that racism was invented during the same period. We don't disagree with Foucault there, Mm -hmm. 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, um, due to various material circumstances, and it developed as an ideology to rationalize those material circumstances from the quote-unquote age of exploration, which is just a fancy way of saying 
colonizing, right, to extraction of resources, to requiring um, um, basically unpaid labor to extract those resources. All of that, those material circumstances also help craft ideological racism. And to borrow from Tommy Shelby, who we use in class quite a bit, they served functional, genetic, and epistemic, like racism serves functional, genetic, and epistemic um, um, properties of ideological constructs. So it kind of hits all of those. So while Foucault doesn't really concentrate on racism as an ideology, he's talking about like why it is and how the state uses it and how the state, I don't know, I don't think he says the state invented it, but it's practical uses Mm -hmm. for the state. We kind of focus more on the ideological purposes of racism and how that has a reflexive relationship with the material world of the same era. So basically what we're saying here is it's just a giant amalgamation of both ideal and material circumstances. And the state intervenes on both levels. That's the point I think Foucault's after. Yep. So what is racism according to Foucault? He says, quote, it is primarily a way of introducing a break into the domain of life that is under power's control. The break between what must live and what must die. The appearance within the biological continuum of the human race of races The distinction among races, the hierarchy of races, the fact that certain races are described as good and that others, in contrast, are described as inferior. All this is a way of fragmenting the field of the biological that power controls. So racism is a way of creating divisions within the biological domain of the state, the life which the state governs. This is the first function of racism for Foucault. So um he has two functions of racism basically the first one is to divide he says the first function of racism is quote to fragment to create caesuras within the biological continuum addressed by power so it's to create breaks it's to divide so biopower a modern state has control over the biological field of a population for foucault racism functions to create divisions within that population based on, in this case, race. So two things. To be blunt, we've already done a short episode on this, scientific racism Mm -hmm. and how it kind of fragmented people. Uh, We won't necessarily fully blame Carl Linnaeus. He is uh, the the inventor of this type of taxonomy. We don't necessarily know about his racial views. But regardless, the racial classifications that he is responsible for, the four different classifications of uh, uh, Homo diurnus or Homo sapien, as it was later called, uh, Europius, Americanus, Africanus, and Asiaticus, those four different distinctions were all described through his quote-unquote own observations. And for things like Europius, they're described as inventive and clever, and they wear tight clothing, and they're governed by law. Whereas Africanus, for example, was uh, uh, described as cunning or inattentive, um, or Asiaticus was described as stingy, or as Americanus was described as only living by tradition. He's talking about indigenous Native Americans, of course, in this case. So we can see... Um, this very specific example, I mean, it's in System Naturae, right? Like Natural mm-hmm. Systems of Nature, this very famous publication about taxonomy. And we see this clear division. And then if we go further, like other thinkers of the time, we I'm not going to quote him here right now because we just don't have time in this episode. But David Hume, in one of his most racist comments, goes on to say, like, the reason I feel this way, and I'm paraphrasing, so don't quote me, I'm paraphrasing, is because there are four to five different races of men. And that's Mm -hmm. why these men, and he's talking specifically about slaves in Europe and Jamaica, that's why these men are less than. And he eventually goes on to compare um, people of lower races, in this case, to like like animals, to pets, specifically a parrot in the quote I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So the first function of racism is to divide. And those are excellent examples of how this happens in real life around this time. The second function of racism is to rank. 
So we divide, we create division in the biological sphere, and then we create inequality, inferior, superior, etc. Foucault suggests that, and he focuses on war, I can't stress that enough in this section. He says, he suggests that war prior to the proliferation of biopolitics was justified for reasons of security. He says, quote, if you want to live, you must destroy your enemies. However, this transforms under the biopolitical modern state to become a biological relationship, this conflict. The enemy, quote unquote, the other, becomes defined as racially inferior. This is Foucault now, quote, the fact that the other dies does not simply mean that I live in the sense that his death guarantees my safety. The death of the other is the death of the bad race, of the inferior race, or the degenerate, or the abnormal. It is something that will make life in general healthier and purer. It is not simply a matter of destroying a political adversary, but of destroying the enemy race, of destroying that sort of biological threat that those people over there represent to our race. Once the state functions in biopower mode, racism alone can justify the murderous functions of the state. So for Foucault, once we are in a modern state that functions, I love this term, biopower mode, that racism must exist to justify killing, and it must divide the biological sphere and rank, so there's an inferior and a superior race, and that is what justifies killing uh, at the hands of the modern state. Um, and I'm continuing because I want to get to colonialism because he specifically calls this out. Um, we're not just discussing uh, overt warfare and murder. And this is when we get to like the banishment, which you brought up earlier. He says, quote, when I say killing, I obviously do not mean simply murder as such, but also every form of indirect murder. The fact of exposing someone to death, increasing the risk of death for some people, or quite simply political death, expulsion, rejection, and so on. So your quote earlier about how uh, anyone that would take part in an interracial marriage in early colonial America faced banishment from society, right? That is, for Foucault, that obviously qualifies. And then in modern times, we very clearly see this. You brought up the example of the modern prison industrial complex and how that very clearly targets people of color disproportionately to others. We can also look at the example of like a police brutality that disproportionately affects one uh, race over others. All of these are examples that Foucault would say is just evidence that we are existing under a mode of biopower in the modern so, state. Yeah, I mean, the example, even before we get to the modern state, during the time period that this constructed, there's no better example than what the British and eventually when England's gone, the American colonists did to the 25 million indigenous people that that, that lived on this continent. Mm -hmm. That ethnic cleansing campaign, still one of the largest in human history, larger than, than, than anything happened that world, in World War II, is something that is completely overlooked because of this type of framing that Foucault's talking about. The literal banishment in one case that's that we all know about out, but we won't. We refuse to call it what it is. The Trail of Tears, for example, that's that's banishment. That is mm -hmm. forcing thousands of individuals, of which as many as a third to a half, I've seen estimates as high, die along the way. Now, did those soldiers that were forcefully marching like murder them? Well, in a couple cases, yes, but but not the vast majority. Most died due to the banishment, the exposure. I mean, yeah, what he says, right? Expose them to death. That's right. exactly what they did. So, so that is ethnic cleansing by every definition, and it fits exactly in this timeline and in 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 the discourse that Foucault is trying to like deconstruct right now. So that's a perfect lead into the next quote because he yeah. says, state racism originated first with colonial projects. That was me. This is Foucault. Quote, racism first develops with the colonization or in other words, with colonizing genocide. Uh, 
If you are functioning in the biopower mode, how can you justify the need to kill people, to kill populations, and to kill civilizations? By using the themes of evolutionism, by appealing to a racism. So Foucault says exactly what Jared was just talking about, that the first colonization projects, and genocide specifically, really were a result of beginning to function in the biopower mode and at the biological level, dehumanizing and pseudo, I like the term pseudo speciation, right? Taking human beings and dividing this, them up into different species where you're completely dehumanizing people of a different race. And you're doing this at the biological level and at the population level, right? So it's them over there, right? The indigenous and the whites and so on. Is there anything to add to that one? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I already did. We're good. Yeah. Okay, so that is, I mean, we talked about anatomo-political power from Foucault so that we could then talk about biopolitical power, biopower, and then those two things so that we could talk about uh, Foucault's sort of concept of state racism. I want to leave you with uh, another video, another episode we have called The Invention of Whiteness in America, which is where Jared is pulling some of these quotes from, like, the Virginia House of Burgesses, and so on. We explain in depth there, I think it's a really good example of this time period and how the state legislated racism. And this is basically the origins of racism in early colonial America that very clearly have uh, ramifications that exist to this day. But it's how in the Virginia House of Burgesses, they literally invented racism and is the first ever in what would become the United States, the use of the term white to define a group of people. It so, was in that specific quote regarding yep. like who gets to marry and procreate with who yeah. was the first time white was used in actual legislation. Yeah, if you're curious, in what became the United States, yeah. the first ever time that white is legally referred to, it's talking about interracial marriage and specifically banning interracial But even back marriages. in Jamestown with that first like set of runaways that are all caught and, and the two European men get mm -hmm. a much lesser sentence than the African that ran away, John Punch. Exactly. Like that's where we start to see these precedents set mm -hmm. yeah so check out that video i'm nick jared later